Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Is that me? Um, oh, I've got two mics on because I've got an illustration. But I've got this one off. Okay. Cool. Are we right? Okay. I'll step back a bit from the speakers. All right. Um, yeah, I think uh, just uh, you know, on that note of um, you know, being a life-giving church, who was here on the last service of last year on the 20th and heard Karen Wellington from uh, Marty Banks School speak? Um, that was pretty cool way to hear just from uh, you know, someone in our community who, who you know, is, uh, I guess, on the receiving end, but you know, for her school on, on just the generosity of our church family, and it's just cool to hear that uh, from other people. She, really, she messaged me and said, I really want to come and just tell your church how much of an impact you're making on our community, and so I think that's, uh, that's really cool way. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and all of the, the, um, the Christmas hampers that went out, 30, was it 30 that went out? Thank you, Amber. My goodness. Who stepped up to the challenge because Ali and I were away and uh, got 30, you know, amongst, uh, with a few helpers as well, but got 30 hampers out to our community. Amazing. So, you know, thank you all for your generosity. Uh, you know, we are... Every time that we are generous, we're representing the heart of God, and I just think that's great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, just a couple of quick things. Um, normally, we start the year with a 21-day with a fast, um, but uh, we are not going to do that this year as far as a, a food fast goes. Uh, we're going to have a look at doing that mid-year as a bit of a reset mid-year. Um, we often find at the start of the year, it clashes with a whole lot of things that we have um, and... Uh, but what I just want to encourage you with this thought. I, I am going to do a fast, and if you want to join me, you can. But it's not going to be sort of a, hey, let's do this as a church. But if you want to join me, you can. Um, but I'm just going to be fasting uh, technology and social media and all of that stuff, TV. Um, and so you can join me. Um, and while we're doing that, uh, Sarah has... Um, uh, put together these little bookmarks, and it's actually reading the Gospels in 30 days, um, and so these are on the back table, and if you want to join myself and Sarah and a few others in reading through the Gospels in 30 days, um, then feel free to join us on that. Grab that bookmark. The reason why we've done it bookmarks and not a, um, a version Bible app is because, I don't know about you, but every time I use the Bible app, I'm on my flipping phone. Hey. <laughs> And so, you know, sometimes it's good to actually just use a real, a real Bible with pages um, and, uh, and just follow through. And so if you'd like to join us with that, uh, feel free. And, uh, you know, if you've got any questions, if you don't want to do that, maybe you want to do a different type of fast. We've got uh, a seven day devotional that we put out after COVID. Uh, and then we've also got a 21 day negativity fast. And maybe you just need to fast some negativity in your life. Oh, so there's that. Uh, so it's 21 days of fasting negativity. Uh, and it actually, uh, it actually follows through on our four core beliefs as a church. And so, um, and so that's cool as well. Kingdom focused, real Jesus focused. And so uh, have a look at that. They're all on the back table. And yeah, let's start the year off focused on Jesus. Amen.
All right. Cool. Well, it's, real, it's been real different so far this morning, eh? Not having uh, our worship team. I think it's the first time since we've been pastors here for eight years that uh, we didn't have pretty much any of our worship team available. They were all away. Well, we had one drummer and one singer, so, um, you know, that could have worked. I'm not sure, but anyway, we had Jeremy Riddle, so that was all good. It was all good. Um, a reminder that you can ask questions. We're, we're starting our new series today, so uh, there will be a number pop up on the screen. You can text that through, and we'll have some time a bit later to answer some questions if you've got them. Uh, I don't claim to have all the answers, but uh, I'll give it a go. But uh, this morning, we're, gonna, we're starting a new series called uh, Becoming, and this is, uh, the tagline for it is this, is, that, is, is finding Jesus in one another. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at all of the passages in the Bible that talk about one another. All of the, all of the love one another's, care for one another, honor one another, all of the one another's uh, in Scripture. And the idea here is that, that we are actually, as a church, becoming something. We are, we are actually becoming something. We are, we are little pockets of heaven, or we're supposed to be little pockets of heaven as the church, pockets of heaven in our community. We are, the Bible describes us as living stones being built up to become carriers of God's presence. Um, you know, we are, we are supposed to be both a model and an agent of the kingdom. And so the gathered church should be a model of the kingdom, a little pocket of the life and culture of heaven in a city or in a community. And then the scattered church, as we go out during the week, we become agents of the kingdom, carrying his presence, carrying his goodness, you know, living with his spirit on the inside of us, bringing hope and healing to those around us. So both models and agents. And so last week I explained that the gospel is both a life lived and then an explanation for the way that we live. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, way, a different way of living, thinking, acting in the ways of Jesus. And, and people should recognize that in us and say, why do you live that way? Why, why is it when everyone else is angry, you're bringing peace and love? Why is it that when it's chaos, you're, you're a peacemaker? And then we can say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. So this series is becoming. It's, it's a focus on those one another passages. It's a focus on being a model of the kingdom as we gather together. Um, and so um, what, would, what would be the goal of the one another passages in Scripture? I, I think the goal is this. Um, you know, Jesus said that he, he only did what the Father is doing. He said, I, I, I only do uh, what the Father is doing. I've come to demonstrate and reveal who the Father is. A and so he is about the Father's business, as we should be as well. And so what is the Father's business? If we are sons and daughters of this good God who is a Father to us, uh, what is the Father's business? A and the Father's business is, is the kingdom. A and how do we know when the kingdom is here? The kingdom, we know the kingdom is here when all things have been restored back to the original identity and purpose. And so when reconciliation is happening in relationships, we know that the kingdom is here. Uh, when, when lives have been healed, when people's hearts have been restored, uh, when healing breaks in, uh, when, when businesses are starting to, to live with a different culture or operate with a different culture, we know that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is moving through us. And so uh, I would like to suggest that the one another's in the scripture are ways that we actually embody the life and culture of heaven in the here and now. 
So what, what does Jesus want? In John 17, he, he prayed that we would be one. That was his prayer, that we would be one, that his heart is that we would be one. Have you ever considered that uh, it's probably the only prayer uh, that we can answer? You know, most of the time we pray and ask for Jesus to answer our prayers, but there is a prayer that he prayed that we can be part of answering, and that is that we would be one, that we would honor one another, love one another, care for one another. See, the most radical witness of the kingdom of God in our world is actually not street evangelism. It's not political protests. It's actually radical humility. It's radical unity, it's radical servanthood, it's, it's radical generosity, radical love for one another is actually the greatest witness of the kingdom of God and the life of heaven in the here and now. now one of the meanings of this word radical, I was looking at it during the week, uh, is this, it, it means this, is that it is arising from or going to the root of the source. Arising from or going to the root of the source. So in, in essence, um, a, a radical life for Jesus is about going back to the original source. Going back to the original source. The original source for our life is Jesus. Uh, I want to give you a bit of a, a, an illustration uh, for this. And so I'm just going to switch over to a different mic while I get some stuff out. Is that going? So um, I... I am uh, quite a practical sort of a person. I, I love working with my hands. Oops, chuck that on the ground. Um, so I thought I'd bring some of my tools this morning and just show you a demonstration. Yeah, there's probably a spider on there, yeah. Sorry, right. I'm not scared of them. So I, I want you to think for a moment. If Jesus is the original source, I, I think what often happens in church life and church culture is that we often drift from the original source. And um, if I was to take a piece of wood, that's really, really echoey, isn't it? Are you right? Let me just take some bass out of it. Turn the gain down, maybe. Um, so if I was to take a piece of wood and just measure it, let's say that I wanted to, to cut it at uh, 300 long, I would take a, a tape measure and measure it, and I'll use a square just to square it out. Um, and I'm actually going to cut this. Sorry, I, I'm prepared. Has everyone got your safety stuff on? So if I was to cut that right there square. Sorry, Ali, Ali always gets angry at me for working in my the clothes. Right, so, so now I've got, I've got a piece of wood that's cut to 300, and, it, and it's based off the original measurement. So I measured it with 300. Now, if I was to say I wanted 100 more of those to the same length, there's two ways that I could do it. I could take this piece and uh, mark it on there, and then, and then cut, cut that piece. And if I took that piece and then marked it again, and cut that piece, and took that piece and marked it again, after 100 cuts, we'll probably end up with a bit that's about that much longer than the original. And what happens is that I think when it comes to following Jesus, we can drift from the original. I'll turn this off now. We can actually drift from the original source. See, Jesus is the source. When we live our Christian lives comparing to one another, 
we actually get further and further and further away from the source. And this can actually happen across generations. Where, where what, what my, maybe my mum and dad have set out as what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, the, the truth is, potentially, they may have added some things to it. And now I've got a piece of wood that's longer than the original, and I might add some things to it and then hand down this way of living to my children. Now, they've got a bit that's longer. And I would like to suggest this, that the more that we add to the simple, pure message of Jesus, I would actually like to suggest the more that we add, the more we reduce it. And what happens is, what, what is a revelation for me can become religion for my children. We've got to continue to go back to the original source, and the original source is Jesus. And what's his command for us? What's his message to us? We have to continue to go back to the original source. Otherwise, what happens is we add political ideology onto the message of Jesus, stretches it out. We add religious ideology, stretches it out. No, this is just about Jesus. Remember last week I said, I believe this year is just about the simple message of Jesus, just Jesus. Yeah, amen. Are we able to um, put some calling on? I think it's getting warm in here, eh? Or is that just me? Is it just getting, it's just the message is hot. All right. So Jesus said, he said, a new command I give to you, and this is his command, Love one another as I have loved you. So this is a, a new command. He said, a, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So what's the old command? The old command was this, love one another as yourself. Yeah, so the old command was love one another as yourself. The new command goes from our ability to his ability. The, the old covenant measure of love was actually love of self. That was the old covenant measure of love, was love of self. The new command goes from our ability to his ability. The new command is a measure according to his love for us. See, this is about his divine enablement with, with his love, a new heart, a renewed mind, filled with his spirit. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness his grace is his divine enablement for us to be able to live out the command that he's called us to live, which is to simply love one another as he has loved us. No more, no, no, no less, let's not add to it, because as we add to it, we are actually reducing it. So Jesus talked about the golden rule. And the golden rule was this, do to others what you want done to us. It's a really common idea. Uh, lots of people talk about it. Do to others what you want done to us. The unfortunate thing is, is that in uh, a lot of uh, times or uh, different places around the world, and I think even for myself, I've reduced it to the silver rule. And the silver rule was still good, but it's just not what Jesus said. The silver rule was more along the lines of don't do to others what you don't want done to you. The silver rule is passive. The, the silver rule is about just being a nice person. You don't, don't do mean things to each other because you don't want mean things done to you. Know, but the golden rule, the rule that Jesus has given us, is actually do to others what you want done to you. It's an active position. 
It's about intentionally looking to do good to one another. It's about intentionally looking to love for one another, looking out for the needs of one another. See, the, the don't do makes us a nice person, but do-do makes us a kingdom citizen, yeah? There's lots of people out there that are, that are nice people living the don't-do rule, but Jesus actually lived, calls us to live a do-do rule. <laughs> Maybe consider this. If you come to a Sunday gathering without doing a do-do, then it's possible that you have just consumed religious goods and services. But we come to church to do do-do's, yeah? Come on, we join together with one another in groups and, and, and hanging out because we want to do do-do's together. Yeah, this is about a do-do, not just a don't do. See, the old covenant law uh, tells us how low you can go before we get into trouble, but Jesus actually calls us up into the law of love. Uh, to not just murder, you know, let's just not murder people but to intentionally and actively look to honor one another, esteem one another, elevate one another, care for one another, love one another. So the law of love calls us up into a different way of living, thinking, and acting. And, and here's the truth. The truth is I could follow all of the Ten Commandments and still be a horrible father, a horrible husband, a horrible friend, and a horrible Christian. Think about that. If, if I just live my whole life going, well, I'm not going to murder anyone today, but I'm not going to look to actively do love. I'm not going to look to actively encourage someone, care for someone, honor someone. See, the Ten Commandments shows us how low we can go without getting into trouble. But no, Jesus calls us up into the law of love. It's a totally different way of living, thinking, and acting. See, Jesus commands this law of love. So, so we have this one command, love one another as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you are my followers. By this. And then Paul and the other New Testament, Testament writers, they, they're constantly unpacking this. So I want you to think about this. Every time we find a one another passage, then there's about 60 of them that directly talk about one another, they are specifically referencing that command. They're just giving some context for it. Well, how do we love one another? Or you know, you know when you, you elevate others and, and think of others more than yourselves? That, that's what Jesus was talking about. You know when you honor one another? That's what Jesus was talking about when he said love. When you encourage one another, that's what Jesus was talking about. And there's about 60 of them all through the New Testament of all of these different ideas about how we can love one another as he has loved us. And so what happens is, is Jesus commands them, Paul and the New Testament writers are constantly unpacking them. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes uh, we as the church um, have not seen them as all that important. Maybe it's just suggestions, uh, some nice ideas. But if we actually take this one command of Jesus seriously, then all of the others have to be central to the way that we live, think, and act. So, uh, Andy Stanley once said that the primary activity of the church is one another in one another. One another in one another. And Jesus said, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you one another one another. Yeah. 
And the other beauty, I think, of this one anotherness, one anotherness is that it's, a, it's like a reciprocal pronoun. So one anothering one another actually draws out the kingdom in one another. As I care for you, it draws out the kingdom within you that you might go, oh, I feel so cared for. Maybe I will care for someone else. You know, as I love you, I'm drawing love out of you. As I, as I honor you, I'm drawing honor out of you. And I, I love the, the idea, you know, in, in humility and honor and vulnerability that, that, that when I am vulnerable in a situation, it gives permission for everybody else to be vulnerable. And so the same goes with all of these things, that when I honor someone, it gives permission for, for someone else to, to give honor as well. So the reality with all of this is, though, that, that we cannot outwork the primary activity of the church sitting in rows. You can't one another, one another, looking at the back of our heads. It's, it's kind of hard to embody the one another's when we're sitting in rows. And that's why it's really important that our kingdom life is not all wrapped into 0.5% of your week. We cannot jam all of the kingdom into one and a half hours on a Sunday. That's why we have squads. That's why we have small groups. That's why we hang out with one another during the week. That's why we care for one another during the week. I, I love, you know, that uh, in the last three weeks, I think we've had, uh, you know, tons of meals being done for people, gardening being done for people that are on crutches. <laughs> Nick and Polly had twins last week. I was, I was, you know, we just put out the word last night for, for meals and we've just got a whole lot of people that are, yep, we'll do meals. You know, and, and it's just those little things that really put Jesus on display. But I really want to emphasize this morning the importance of, of squads. You know, being in a group of two or three people. Yeah, it's great, eh? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I think, yeah, that's it. And, and Jesus said, this is, you know, this is how they will know. This is how they will know. I, I love that Karen Wellington said, I want to come, <laughs> I want to come and tell your church that I've noticed. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, Peter McHugh, who is a, a, a good friend of ours, unfortunately we couldn't get him here last year because of COVID, but uh, anyway, he wrote a book called Above the Line. And it's just a brilliant book. I've read it so many times. Um, and I want to give you some thoughts from that um, in a little bit. But he, he said this. He said, weekend services are intended to prepare God's people to bring the good news of the kingdom to those outside the kingdom. Weekend services are not for Christians to fulfill their religious duty. They are gatherings intended to focus God's people on how they can bring the presence and power of Jesus to others. In Romans 12, um, and I'm gonna, um, we're going to focus right in on Romans 12 next week. But just at the start of it, um, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, real popular verse, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, this good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then it goes on to talk about humility and humble service towards one another. But, but it's interesting here, it says that, that, that offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is true and proper worship. And, and uh, one of my concerns, I said this last week, but one of my concerns in, in sort of Western uh, churchianity is that, that we love to worship Jesus, but how much do we actually want to live like him? And, and this, is, this is what Paul was saying, that, that to actually live like Jesus is true and proper worship. I love to sing. I love musical worship. I love it. I really do. I'm a musician. I love it all. But if that is our only view of how we worship Jesus, we have missed the point hugely. To live like him is to worship him. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said that, that to love God and to love others are just like the same command. <laughs> he, didn't say, he didn't actually separate them. He said one is just like the other. To love God is to love people. How do we show our love for God and our love for one another? So these 60 commands are not just something we do, but they are the very characteristics of Christ that we are becoming. So, so as I was looking through the concordance at, at the, the word becoming, I, I typed it into concordance um, and I was looking at all of the passages that popped up. I realized that all of these one another passages we're the ones popping up when you type in becoming into the concordance. And, and, it, would, and it, would refer, it would say there's another way to say this. So there's one passage that says be kind to one another. Another way to read that would be keep becoming kind. So as you do kindness, you are becoming more like Jesus. And as you become more kind, you are becoming like Jesus and the kingdom is breaking it. So we are becoming something as a church. We're not just here to do things, we're actually here to become something. We are to become like Him. The nature and character of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, they are a person. They are supposed to be embodied, not just done. So the question this morning is, what are you becoming? What are you becoming? You, you cannot become Christ-like in isolation. It's only together that we both see Christ in each other and model his heart and spirit to the world. You, on your own, cannot embody Jesus. But together, when we come together, as a gathered church, we get to model him. And as a scattered church, we get to be agents of him. I, I love that when, as you read through them, you realize that uh, uh, most of, of Christ's commands to love one another, they are often characterized by a letting go, not by a, necessarily by a doing or grasping or or they are rooted in rest, not striving. They are, they are not onerous tasks, they are, but they are about intentionally seeing one another with the eyes and heart of Jesus and, and then embodying his way of living. In Philippians 2, 
It says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So as we um, uh, sort of bring it to a close, I just want to give you just a, a model to consider. Um, just, uh, I think it would be helpful as we journey through uh, the series. Uh, and this is from Peter's book, Above the Line. And so we, we see here um, that, that uh, the Scripture explains that we are known by two things, that we'll be known by our love and we'll be known by our fruit. Um, and there are, uh, the, the book that Peter wrote, Above the Line, is all about living with those above-the-line characteristics, that, that we would be, have a unity of heart, that we would be known by our affection for one another, uh, be known for our passion for His presence, and also being present, uh, and, and this idea of wine or celebration, uh, but, n- but not without the fact that we do have a purpose as a church. And that there are elements of achievement and principles and wineskin, uh, and through those we're known by fruit. Um, but I just want to give you a couple of thoughts on that, um, and, and, then, and then we'll have some questions. Do we have questions? No questions yet. All right. If we don't have any questions, then we won't have any questions. Um, so this idea of affection, Peter explains that affection speaks of warmth of giving and life. It is a word of response. It calls to mind images of radiating joy, laughter, and hope. Affection is also a word of action. It defies a passive and disengaged state of being, propelling everything about who we are to a positive place of influence. Affection requires us to be focused, determined, deliberate, and considered in our thoughts, attitudes, and behavior. It looks for the good and believes the best of ourselves and others. Affection lives beyond judgment and justice. It calls the heart to imagine all that is good and worthwhile in one another. The word presence speaks of our desire for God, our pursuit of God, our reliance on God, and our commitment to Him. On a personal level, presence speaks of self-awareness, taking personal responsibility for our actions, and more importantly, our reactions. Of being attuned to our self-talk, actively living from who we are in Christ, and rejecting shame, guilt, and condemnation as works of the devil. Presence has been alive to God, to others, and to self. It is a state of joy, peace, rest, thankfulness, and rejoicing. A state that quickly assumes a position of humility, teachability, forgiveness, and grace. And presence motivates us to perseverance, persistence, patience, and long-suffering. I'm reading out of his book. Yeah. Not the Bible. Uh, and then the last one is wine. He says, I use the word wine to describe the place of celebration, celebrating fellowship, friendship, and fun. It is a metaphor for the place of God's activity in our hearts and in our midst corporately. Wine is a desire for God and what He wants to do. It is a place of surrender, surrendering our ego, agendas, pride, and notions of what is right. Wine is, in essence, a bundle of things about God, life, and love that we savor, an aroma to which we are sensitive a taste thrilling to our palates. It is intoxicating in the most righteous and holy way as it takes us into a God awareness zone. Our inhibitions drop, our expressions become more enlivened and our hearts are strongly warmed 
because we know that he is near. I, I love all of those things. My, my heart is that we could be a church that embody those things. Not just doing, but being. Embodying the nature and characteristics of Christ. All right, questions? Uh, yeah, there's just one. It just says, can we hear the presence again? Just quickly summarize. It was too quick when you oh, read it out. I can do that. <laughs> That's such a hard question. <laughs> All right. The word presence speaks of our desire for God, our pursuit of God, our reliance on God, our commitment to God. On a personal level, level presence speaks of self-awareness, taking personal responsibility for our actions, and more importantly, our reactions. I've been attuned to our self-talk, actively living from who we are in Christ and rejecting shame, guilt, and condemnation as works of the devil. Presence has been alive to God, to others, and to self. It is a state of joy, peace, rest, thankfulness, and rejoicing. A state that quickly assumes a position of humility, teachability, forgiveness, and grace. And presence motivates us to pers perseverance, persistence, patience, and long-suffering. I think the idea here is that, that we are not just about God's presence, but that we are also being present. You know, when we, when we gather together on a Sunday, that we are present. Who knows, it's possible to come to church every Sunday for all of your life and never actually be present. Just like you can stand in a, in a, in a room full of people and still feel alone. Being present is an act, active participation in the culture and environment that is taking place. It's looking for the care of others. It's being present for others. You know, sometimes people ask me, when, what time does church start? Church starts the moment you walk in the door and it finishes the moment you walk out. This church is not a service. Have you ever considered the fact that the Bible is very, very vague on how we are supposed to do church? I would like to suggest that's because we were never meant to do church. We are supposed to be the church. Whatever model that takes on, whatever way we decide is best and fit for us to live out this expression of Jesus in our community is the right one. But it doesn't just happen in one and a half hours on a Sunday. Now, this is a place where we come together, where we get to do the togethers in one way, shape, or form. We get to worship together. There is something very, very powerful about when we get to worship together. It's like the presence that I'm carrying, the presence that you're carrying, the presence that you're carrying. It's like it's amplified together when we come together. And it, that's beautiful and powerful and is sweet and amazing and all of the great things that that is. But then there are elements that we just cannot do when we're looking at the back of each other's heads. When we sit together over a coffee in a cafe, pour our hearts out to one another, pray for one another. When we go and do lawns for someone because they can't. We bring food to one another. All of those things are kingdom. It's good, eh? It's good. So when it comes to um, church, what we'll do is I'll, I'll just, a, a couple more things, and then we'll gather around communion together. I'll ask Jeremy to come back and lead us in one more song.
Uh, One of the things that I really dislike about church is the idea of a volunteer. Um, I really don't like it. It irks me. Does it irk anyone else? Yeah. Uh, Someone once said this. I can't remember. I don't have the uh, exact person uh, who said it, it, but they said this. There is a great difference between a volunteer and a disciple. A volunteer gets to set her own schedule, or his. A, A volunteer calls his own shots. A volunteer comes and goes as they please. A volunteer gets to be their own boss. But a disciple has a Lord. Jesus never told us to go and recruit volunteers. He told us to go and make disciples. He doesn't call us to pitch in. He calls us to surrender all as we work together. I want to point out the elephant in the room with this is that you may have heard that two different ways, depending on your experience in church life. You may have heard that as Michael was saying that he is Lord. And if he says you need to turn up and do such a thing, then you need to turn up and do such a thing. No, no, no. Or you may have heard it from a real beautiful kingdom way and going, yeah, no, I'm not just volunteering in this thing called church. I am the church. I'm a disciple of Jesus and I want to become like him and be like him. And so I want to point out this elephant in the room. Um, we, are, we, are, we are not here to make disciples of the church. We are here to make disciples of Jesus. And sure, there is an element of follow me as I follow Christ, but I, I want to tell you this. If, if, you, if I am not following Christ, then you should not follow me. <laughs> Nor should you follow anyone that is not following Christ. Peter, in his book, goes on to say, leaders become discouraged in their discipleship effort when people's commitment to being discipled is led by personal preference above surrender to the call of God. This is painful for leaders who live as shepherds laying their life down for the sheep. Yeah, so I I wrestle with, I, I don't like rosters. I don't like that we have to roster people. I get that it's necessary, but I don't like it for the reason that it means that we only maybe care for people that are walking in the door the day that we're rostered on. Or, do you know what I mean? Like with family. I I don't get to turn off being a disciple. I don't get to turn off embodying the characteristics and nature of Jesus. I I don't get to just turn up and say, well, I'm just... You know, I'm just going to be really mean today because it's not my time to be rostered on, to be nice and kind. You know what I mean? Like, like we are supposed to be embodying, I, I'm a real idealist. I just think, you know, if we, embo- like, if we really get down to this and embody this thing, the church will be this beautiful, powerful, unstoppable thing in its community that is just, ah. And I didn't have to roster anyone to be like it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, anyway, that's just my thought. <laughs> Yeah, music team can come. No. 